Hey folks, this is Scott with Leading Edge Archery. Podcast number, I don't know, but it's been a while. Yeah, I lost track. Dude. I stopped at the We're line. horrible. I know. God, we gotta get on track. I'm gonna I'm gonna slay down the law. Okay. <laughs> my law doesn't get us anywhere. I I have rescinded my role as producer, so I'm just gonna blame it on Braden. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing go. my job. Y'all aren't recording as yeah, much as you whatever. need to. So we have Jason Tabanski, the illustrious, with us today, and also video dude, Braden Cummings. <laughs> video dude. <laughs> video great title. Dude. It is a good title. He normally does our videos, but we probably won't video this episode because we're going to do a call-in with actually one of the regional representatives for Faradine, who makes Rage Broadheads and Block Targets and uh, True Fire, blah, 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 blah. Get some industry whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, get some industry stuff from him, which would be kind of cool. Um, had a lot of cool stuff happen over the last two weeks. We had the start of the indoor, start and closing of the indoor season. Mm-hmm. We had the Lancaster Classic, which I don't know if you all follow archery at all. And I, I don't care what anyone says. You can say archery is boring to watch, and I may, may tend to agree somewhat. But if you wanted to watch Nick Cappers from the elite team who qualified uh, sixth in that tournament, in the shoot down and rolled through some of the top archers in the world. Um, it was pretty epic. I mean, this kid came out of nowhere. Sometimes it just doesn't matter where you call. <laughs> exactly. Oh, he put on a show. Yeah. That bonus ring made a whole, made it a whole lot more interesting for sure. That. And I'll tell you the other thing was there's a lot of controversy going on now that, you know, as a number one or number three seed or whatever, you come in, you're a little cold. Yeah. And everybody else has got a chance to right. warm up. And he shot, Let's say by the time you get the third seed, he's already shot three rounds. Mm-hmm. So he's hot. And it was funny to watch because every single person that comes up at the higher seeded archer that gets to come up against him gets to pick which podium they want to stand on. And every one of them made him switch thinking, well, if I make a switch, it's going to, he's going to get out of his rhythm. And it didn't matter. And he was used to both sides. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was awesome though to watch that. It was, that was actually, like you said, with the bonus ring made it, um, made it interesting because it, it was exciting. Well, I mean, that's why people like 3D better is because even if you mess up, you have a chance to come back, right? Mm-hmm. So having that at Lancaster made it more interesting for oh, everybody without, else. Without a doubt. And then we had, um, and Vegas just wrapped up this past weekend, and it's crazy. I, it's got to be the first time in history. Two kids. Well, indoor. Under, under the year, age of 16. Yeah, indoor this year was indoor for the kids, pretty much. Bro, we had a 15 and a 14-year-old yeah. win Vegas. 14-year-old girl won Vegas back-to-back. What was her name? Liko. Liko. She's from yep. Hawaii. Yep. She won it last year. <coughs> shot a 900. Yeah. Shot a 900 again this year and won it again. And then smoked everybody in the shoot-off rounds. Yep. And then uh, Brody Turner, who came out at uh, Lancaster Classic and got third, um, he came back and won it. Has, and he just turned 15, I think, what, the day before Something like finals. That. Yeah. Yeah. He Crazy. shot a perfect score in at Lancaster, qualified number one. Shot perfect. And then came over and... Uh, Mopped Shut up the house. Shut off in, yeah. in Vegas. So I was encouraged by one thing. Our 3D guy, Danny McCarthy, got third place, which was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that was good to see. It was because he's not, a, he's not an indoor guy. Dude, and Jesse Broadwater, it doesn't matter what you put in that dude's hand. You can put a mop with a piece of fishing wire. Yeah. And you'll probably go out there and shoot a 300. Oh, dude. He, the guy's just a machine. Swap back to Hoyt and, <clears throat> and went I out there and smoked it. And I don't care what anybody says. He looks better in the Hoyt jersey. Everybody does. He just looks at home. I mean, I'm sorry. He, he just, he was out of place with, and Matthews, this is my opinion. But, yeah. But I've known, you know, you, 
when you watch Jesse shoot Hoyt for gosh more than half more than half his career. Well, certain it, it people, yeah, certain people just. I, I guess certain manufacturers make bows that just go with certain people. Yeah, without a doubt. Like I, I never wore anything other than Levi's because Levi's look good on me. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of Hoyt with Jesse. Buttonflies back in the day. Oh, <laughs> silver tabs. Oh, silver I still tabs. have some of those buttonflies, and I hate them. Oh come on, they were the the rage back in the eighties. He wasn't even. <laughs> he wasn't even a twinkle in his father's no, eye. His, his dad was still in school in the eighties. Yeah. yeah, no kidding. Uh, but you know, some good archery this past two weeks, and um, I think that's pretty much the culmination of the indoor season, at least for most people. And we are getting ready in two and a half weeks to head to Foley, Alabama, for the kickoff of the ASA tour. Yep. Um, I think we were in here last night till about nine ten o'clock on our day off, making arrows, shooting. Getting marks, and I know you. You had finding out that the bow that I thought was ready to go <laughs> wound up being not ready to go. No, hey, at least you find out now, and not two weeks before. Yeah, Dude, but I, there's nothing like only having a week and a half left. To get it all right. <laughs> there's nothing like coming coming here. We we showed up and got sighted in. I mean, I was shooting pretty decent for for sighting in yesterday, and confidence was through the roof. Go shoot it through the chrono, and I was like, uh, "We got a problem." Yeah, this thing is slowing <laughs> down. I mean, it's dropping from last time to this. So, <clears throat> came to the conclusion that the strings have been shot out. So, going to do some surgery. Yep. Went home, reset up some arrows. It's going to be fun. Yeah, we're going to have a fun day today. Getting yep. that back on track. Hey, for once, I'm actually ready. Yeah. <laughs> you're crazy. ahead of the game. I'm ahead of the game. Yeah, you're ready. I just got to order some more arrows because there's no way I'm shooting on pro with. Like six arrows. That's another thing. Yeah, I'll be dead. We've got five, six people, six guys out of this shop shooting gnome pro. Yeah, gonna go ahead and buy. That's the gonna be awesome and make make the jump. Yeah, yeah, it's that's gonna be, gonna be awesome. So, I mean, ASA is already in in full swing here in Texas. Yeah, ASA started the state three weeks ago. Yep, the state level tournaments have started uh, two three weeks ago. So it's going to be exciting to get our butts back outside yep. and get out of this indoor game, which I just loathe. I was ready to quit indoor back no, in October. <laughs> it's just it's just mind numbing. You know, it's good because it does build a lot of uh, oh, yeah. technique and all that good stuff. Yep. It gets you to figure out exactly what you need to do with your equipment, but. I mean, you, you go shoot a Vegas target or a five spot. I mean, five spots, the worst thing ever created. That's like yes. Chinese torture yes. to archery. Yes. It is. I kind of like it, to be honest. It's that black five X spot? is super easy to see. I just focus on it and I can nail it. Okay. You're, you're a masochist. <laughs> You'd make a good roofer. You yeah. just hammer nails into shingles all day. This is what I'm going to do you'd, next you'd time. You'd like it. Dude, next time I shoot a five spot, I'm going to get <clears throat> a blank canvas next to me and I'm going to just take a small, like a little quart of paint and I'm going to throw it on there. And after every end, I'm going to just turn around and watch paint dry. That's going to be more interesting than what I'm doing. It's not that I like it. It's just, I don't know, indoor in general, I don't like it that much, but five spot is okay. It's like shooting those tacks on the black face. Like I enjoy doing that just because yeah. I can focus on it and just nail them. It's the same thing. That black X is stands out on that target. So it it's does. super easy to hit every time and it makes me feel good. Yeah. So indoors wrapping up. I mean, there's still nationals left. You got indoor USA Archery, indoor and that's Nationals, weird and one. NFAA. We were, we were talking about that yesterday. I mean, that's going to be like a mid to late March. That stuff should and be 3D's done. 3D is already like yeah. in full swing. It should be done by the time and Vegas comes around. And I'm going to go ahead and say it. And I know for, well, I will tell you. Yeah, Jason's like, no, don't say it, don't say it. No, I'm serious. <laughs> Most of the pros that go to that have to by contract. Oh, yeah. They don't want to be there because they're already into their... 
you really, you're into outdoor FIDA and field at that time. Mm-hmm. And or you're in an FAA outdoor field and you've got 3D rolling hard. And then you got to go back after two months off mm-hmm. or a month off of Vegas and set up a bow for freaking indoor again. Yeah. I don't get that. Uh, I, NFAA has got to get on board with everyone else on the planet. Those USA archery. <clears throat> I mean, they've well, them too. Yeah. They're, they're indoor nationals. Then you make sure that that stuff is wrapped up by the time the indoor world cup final hits national should be done. Should be done. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, but there, there's just way too much overlap. And what's crazy? It's hard to say this, but I mean, I can't believe I'm saying it. But a lot of there's, it's getting to the point where you you've got so much overscheduling of archery right now. It's crazy. crazy. No, it's crazy, which is good for the sport. But hey, um, anyways, we are going to uh, move forward and get this Mister Cummings on the line here. We'll talk to Faraday, which is yeah, going to be awesome. Also, we also had we also had the ATA come up too. Um. ATA show. I'm over that. Yeah. We're going to talk a little bit about that. with What's going on, Mr. Halfman? I am uh, eating a sausage sandwich and drinking coffee. Wow. (laughs) Must be nice. Well, you called me about about five minutes ago. So Mm -hmm. if you you hear me feeding my dog and going through my morning routine, blame Scott. Yeah, Brandon was my uh, my my get out of jail free card. So I called him like literally ten minutes ago. Hey, by the way, you're doing the podcast this morning. <laughs> he ain't got no choice. <laughs> no, we're gonna have some fun with it. Actually, we just got done talking about the Vegas and uh, Lancaster, and you know, why don't you? Uh, so just to let you all, the listeners, know Brandon Halfman's regional rep that covers, I think, uh, Texas, Oklahoma, right, Brandon? Texas, Oklahoma. Yep. Yeah, and um, for Faradine, and Faradine is they're number one. I think they're number one branded item. They carry more than everybody knows is the rage broadhead, of course. Um, but nocturnals and block targets, um, true fire. What else? Carbon express, uh, covert. We've got, man, we've got dozens of, of, uh, brands now. Muzzy, uh, muzzy bow fishing, your Glendale buck, Bag targets, IQ both sides, Rocky Mountain, Sherlock. Shima and I Christmas. Yeah, the list goes on. Just buy a bow company and be done with it. <laughs> uh, I think it's been talked about before, but uh, nothing nothing to this point. Oh, I bet it has. There's no doubt about it. Um, Brandon did not get a chance to uh, go travel around the country because normally the reps this time of year are mm-hmm. on their, their three-month hiatus from family. And uh, traveling to every trade show on planet Earth, um, which I think COVID has changed <clears throat> that environment a lot. And uh, wanted to maybe talk a little bit about that. Brandon, uh, Brandon just happened to have a new addition to his family. What two weeks ago? Three weeks ago now? Uh, yeah, about three weeks three ago. Weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, she's doing great. Mom's doing good. So we're we're blessed, man. But it's definitely put a wrinkle in traveling for business and uh, getting all that stuff done. Um, show season, um, you know, and COVID has too. We talked talked about that before. It's, it, it has shifted the dynamic of, of getting out and about, but I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I've, once we kind of get settled and adjusted, I fully intend on getting out there and running like I normally do. Yeah. So for, for those of you who think that reps, <laughs> the rep life is all cool, working for an archery company and everything, hey, Brandon, why don't you talk about just real quick, Summarize what your year would have been like two years ago, like starting January 1. Yeah, so generally we will have 
oh gosh, I mean, six trade shows. Um, and in between those trade shows, we are seeing accounts. So, you know, it's ATA and then buying group shows uh, sprinkled throughout January and February. Between those, I generally try to go see, um, I mean, I'm gone four days a week. Um, every week from January 3rd when ATA is all the way through the end of March. Um, you know, most of those days are, you know, everybody, every rep structures their stuff different. But for me, like I, I'll office on a Monday. Uh, basically, it's a, it's a prep day for the week. Um, and then I'll be gone Tuesday through Friday seeing accounts. And those days are generally anywhere from 10, 12 hours of, I mean, I, when, when I used to run, uh, more territory, I would have 16 hour days, yeah. um, by the time, cause you're up in the morning, you're seeing your first guy. Generally you can see two to four guys a day, depending on how close they are. And then, you know, uh, at the end of the day, you've got a, a stack of, uh, purchase orders and things that have <laughs> right. to be. And, and emails that have to be answered that you can't do when you're sitting behind the steering wheel. So it's it's a grind for for those three months for sure. Right. Um, and then you know the archery industry it, it kind of ebbs a little bit. Um, April, May, June, um, July, everything starts ramping up for your guys going out west. Um, we do a lot of consumer shows usually in the fall, going into season. People having events and sales and anniversary sales, tent sales, stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's uh, I mean, it, it's a great job. It really is. Um, but there's a lot of commitment travel though, for sure. There, There is a lot of commitment travel. And I think sometimes people kind of, uh, romanticize the idea of, uh, being in the industry or, or working as a rep and don't get me wrong, dude, it's, it's awesome. Um, but at the end of the day, you're still working. It's still a job. You still have commitment. Um, you know, not everybody is, uh, you know, hunting, uh, you know, it's, it's, there it's work. So the big thing, and I'll tell you the other big thing you have to have, and you have, you hit the, the, you hit the home run for wives. Um, cause I know Lindsay, um, she, you yeah. gotta have, you gotta have one understanding woman at your side. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, sorry about all you other schlubs. I have the best wife on the planet. <laughs> She's amazing for sure. Amazing. There's no doubt. Yeah. She, uh, she bears with me with, uh, grace and poise for sure. Um, but yeah, she, she's great. You well, do have to have by your side that, that is understanding absolutely and you way out punted your coverage on that one for sure, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> there's no Especially doubt now that I'm older man i'm grayer balder hey, i was gonna say you ain't got no hair bro <laughs> and she's still young vibrant and beautiful so yeah you better do a lot of yeah. extra stuff oh i know i know i'm for telling sure. you that's awesome so let me yeah. ask you a question how has covid i know covid has definitely changed the way we do business i mean from an archery industry you know um i've been in and out of this industry my entire life but owning a, a shop now for the last six years i've seen a change i mean do you foresee that it's going to stay that way or do you think that we're going to see a 
uh, you know, us going back to the way we used to do it before, or is this shift in, in paradigm that we we're experiencing now going to be the same? I mean, it's going to stay. God, I hope not. Really? How come? I hope, well, I, I, so I hope not from, from a, just a social and cultural aspect. I mean, in regards to people getting together, having fun, you know, like I feel like this thing has really isolated people to a degree that we don't really even know the repercussions of at this point yet. Right. Um, so I hope it doesn't, like, I, you know, people talk about the new normal. Like, I don't accept that. I, I want it to go back. Now, from a business standpoint, um, man, I, and this is just me talking. Um, I think that you've got, you've obviously had a large shift towards internet business over the last, you know, even pre-COVID. Right. You know, the pandemic kind of accelerated that. Uh, I think it will come back off of that to a degree. Um, but there, there's always going to be, you know, people who, man, it, man, people's schedules are busy. Like, right. it, it's easy to jump on, order something, and have that thing crossed off your list in your mind uh, when you're chasing kids around or you've got a busy work schedule or whatever. Um, so I, I think to a degree that, that that will remain. One of the things I'm encouraged about, though, that some of the um, the results of the pandemic, I guess, is that we saw a really big influx of people who had either gotten out of the sport because their lives were so busy and then they had time to do it again because sports were canceled. Right. You know, Johnny football team got canceled in 2020 and Susie couldn't do ballet. And so dad was like, man, like I can do this again. Right. <clears throat> and so what I think you'll see is whatever that growth was, let's just throw a, a, a random number on it. Let's just say it was 20%. I think that's going to come back down because people's schedules are picking up again, kids are playing sports again, but I, I think there will be a residual. I, I think, you know, let's say it went up 20%, maybe we retain 8% of that growth, and I think that's a good thing. So, you know, that, that's what I see kind of going on. Um, but, you know, I, I wish I had a crystal ball all these years. <laughs> yeah, <but>. well... <laughs> I, I know a lot more than I think I do. <laughs> right. Well, I, I want to talk about the pink elephant in the room. Um, and if you're not comfortable talking about this, it's no big deal. But um, what's going to be the future of the ATA? Because I'm going to preface this. Let me hold on. Let me set the stage a little bit. Yeah. Um, the ATA this year probably seen it's, and it's probably its worst attended show in decades. Um, sure. Um, and I've seen this coming from a mile away. Um, and I think that the COVID just helped push it over the cliff. I've seen this happen four or five years ago. I've only been to the ATA twice in the last five years. Um, because for me, it turned into more of a social media circus than it did a buying show. And, um, and, and, I, and I tell you, even this year, I think there was less coverage than ever on social media. I had less of the, the Insta, Insta famous guys. 
out there. Yeah, they had to search out coverage to find it. Normally, yeah. it built Instagram feed, and and it was yeah, you really had to go looking for it. Yeah, really. So I just think the ATA lost its identity, and I think they're they're I hate to say it, but they they're reaping what they sowed. And so, what's your take on the ATA's future? I mean, do you think this thing's gonna gonna bounce back, or is this gonna be a struggling show from here on out until they they do something different and change? Well. I'll preface this opinion by saying, like, this is not, this, this is my opinion. This right. is not a reflection of Paradigm or anything <clears throat> like right. that. Uh, the, they need to make changes. I mean, plain and simple. ATA has, has very positive influence in regards to, <clears throat> um, you know, getting ranges set up, extending grants they do some great things, but in regards to the trade show, um, you know, that there are things that need to change and it's not all on them. Um, so I got into this business in 2008. I worked for a small shop in West Texas and I took over that archery department in 2009. And by 2010, I was like, why are things the way they are? <laughs> I think we've all done that. <laughs> Do that like, every day. Yeah, so, so from the outside looking in, you're like, you know, I'm, dude, listen, I was a kid out of college. I could not be more excited about uh, the job that I was working and uh, archery in general. Um, I mean, it's, it's one of the things I love to do. I hunt and I fish. Right. And uh, that's, always been part of who I am. Um, so I was, I was stoked. Um, but it became very apparent to me that there was the shift is the, the main thing was the shift in, in bow release date as that moved up from November to October and that, that whole timeline. I'm like, and this just doesn't make sense. Right. And so when we talk about ATA and things that need to be done, one of the main things that I always, that I tend to harp on is if you want ATA to be successful, you really need to lobby these bow manufacturers to shift those dates up. Oh, hundred percent. Um, and, and I know that that's a very complex task. Um, I've had conversations with, with other people. It's not just like, Oh, okay, we'll just move it then. But that, that, that's a big deal because, and if you release every bow, new bow, at the show, people are going to be there. Yeah, makes it relevant. Yeah, like you have to be there. But the reality is that that because of the sh- the shift that took place, uh, the Hoyt rep, the PSE rep, Matthews guy, they're, like they're they're all on the road from October to December. Uh, December, yeah, yeah pre-Christmas, yeah. um, and they're they're selling preview packs, they're selling, you know, uh, their their new models, and so uh, you know, ATA is still great in in the accessory realm, but we all know that you know the the bows are the big uh, a big driver, right? Um, well, and, and the manufacturers are not going to do it because they're all backing things up, trying to get the dollars spent before the show, essentially. So if you lock in a 
a big PO in October, November for three different sure. manufacturers. Well, you've spent your, your 2022, you know, okay. you spent that nut and right. there's nothing left over. I mean, and, yeah. and I, and, and I, that's my, yeah, that's my understanding of why that shift initially took place is that, Hey, let's beat our competitors a punch. 100%. And tie up those open to buy dollars. Yep. Yep. And, uh, you know, the problem with that is that, you know, you got guys who will, you know, go deep in, say, CSE or, or Matthews or whatever, um, but they're always going to sell a little bit of the, of the other one. Right. And so I don't know that that argument really holds water with me entirely, um, that tying up open to buy dollars. That, that's not the way I, I wrote my business when I was in, in a couple of the shops that I did. Right. You know, so I was focused on selection and uh, giving customers a, a choice, a, you know, where they have a diversity of, of products to choose from and features and technology and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I don't, I don't know that that argument holds a lot of water with me, but I'm sure back in the day it was, uh, it probably worked. Right. And that's why they continue to do it. Yeah. You know, it's crazy though, because the release dates in relation to the model year that the bow is and everything is just so convoluted. It's not, it's not even close to being accurate, let's say. Yeah. And, and it just doesn't make any sense because you've got, you know, you know, celebrity hunters are hunting with the 2022 bows and basically in July and June, July of 2021, you know, and I get right. that because they're trying to work out the kinks and all that stuff. And that's cool. But yeah, that release yep. date of Bose coinciding with the ATA show has got to change. But I, you know, who's going to, it's going to take a pretty strong personality to try to talk all the manufacturers that are looking for the WIFM, what's in it for me. Um, yeah. And they're, and they, yeah. they're not looking at the industry as a whole. They're only looking at the piece of the pie that they own. And they're making right. every decision based off of that. And that's fine. Um, it's yeah. business and you can do business however you choose to do so. But if you want to right. move the needle from an industry standpoint, you've got to look bigger picture. And I just don't think we have the right people in place, even at the manufacturer level. And could, because think about it, most manufacturers are, they're a proprietorship of sorts. Um, yeah. You got one guy making a call and I hate to say it. I can name all the guys. Every one of them's got, what do they all have in common? A monstrosity ego. Yeah. And because yeah, ego plays a factor. Um, I think one of the things that one of the things that I talk about from time to time is that we we don't have a long game in mind. Right. Um, we are we are so hyper focused on what we need to do for 2022 that we hadn't even thought about 23, 24, 30. Right. right. So we're not. We're not thinking 10 years down the road, what's this industry going to look like? And I could be totally wrong on this, but this is my opinion. I, I really feel like uh, we are so tied up in the current year and making sure that we get what we need in the current year, you know, whether it's an archery shop, you know, selling to the consumer or a manufacturer selling to the archery shop, you know, we get tied up in the short term and man like we lose the forest for the trees like we, we've got to start making long-term decisions that give this industry longevity yep um and you know i mean i hate to say it but culturally 
and you got people playing video games and you know making tons of money on the internet they're not stepping outside <laughs> to oh that's so darn so, true so how do we how do we give this uh this industry longevity when your boomers who probably make up the biggest part of your uh customer base hey, that chapter's closing soon yeah no and, you, you... Uh, I, I don't really know the answer to that, but I know that's the problem. And I know that there are probably smarter people than me that can figure out the answer, but we need to be thinking about it instead of thinking about 2022. Well, it's funny you say that because I think that you look at Bodie and what's her name? Lico? Lico. Lico, who just won Vegas, 14 and 15 year olds. Blew my mind, dude. Dude. How awesome is that? Well, and that's what I'm saying. So maybe just having them be able to accomplish what they did will drive a whole new, you know, generation of archers who say, hey, I want to do that, you know, because to your point, we I was watching some, it was, they were doing a, um, um, an expose on this. Literally, you know, you got 14, 15 year old kids playing Fortnite. Is that what it's called? I don't know. Some video games. a bunch of video games. Well, sports. I'm looking, at, I'm looking at Braden because he's, he's like 17. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm totally into video games. I don't even know one. But no, seriously, these kids are playing for millions of dollars. No, yeah, dude. It's like... College scholarships. You got, you got TikTok and, and YouTube where you can monetize your stuff. And, dude, I mean, you got... The world is evolving, man. I don't even understand most of the stuff that's going on, but... I'm questioning whether I need to get on board. You know, you got everything is shifting so heavily digital, even cryptocurrency. It's like, you know, yeah. And I hear, I hear it's really volatile. I want to understand, but dude, you got kids selling, selling NFTs that are selling for millions of dollars. That it's like, I don't even understand what's happening. <laughs> but, but yeah, to your point, like you got kids that are making buku money uh and it's all digital you yeah. know so getting yeah, the, those kids out there i think is really important i think archery shops are on the front line of that and i think um you know that maybe that's one of the answers to the longevity of the sport is some of these shops need to get outside of themselves like i know that um we're all passionate about deer hunting elk hunting you know going out in the woods with our bow um but if we don't start investing in that next generation and kind of get out of hey archery is for me it's my escape it's the thing that i do and like yeah we get we got to get our our kids involved next generation involved make sure that it has longevity yeah i'll tell you right now the the shops in the next 10 years that don't have a you're not marketing to kids. I, I call it women and kids. It's two of our biggest focuses that we concentrate yeah. here in this archery shop. Um, yeah. If you don't have a marketing plan for them, you won't be around in 10 years because that, the, the, the days of, you know, jo- Billy Joe Bob coming into your shop every year to get a bow, he's, he's going to be 65, 70 years old here in 10 years. And yeah. that entire generational gap between them and the new ones coming out is so vast. I don't, you're not going to survive. I'm what we're doing here. We have over like, I think 60 plus kids in our kids program right now. Um, because yeah. I'm, I'm building the next generation of customers for this shop is what I'm doing. Yeah. Now I'm yeah. not, I'm, I'm not going to retain all of them. I mean, if I can keep 20% of them, that'd be a big win. Um, sure. but, but you got to have a plan to grow and market that because if not, 
yeah, those shops that rely on just hunting in the future, they're not going to be around. Nope. One bonus of social media, though, is it can draw kids into other things that's not outdoor related, but you have all those content guys. I follow a lot of them that are doing stuff for Sitka and Matthews and Hoy and all their content. Right. They're also posting their own stuff, putting the word out and they're making amazing films and photos that are engaging to kids even. Yeah. TikTok is one of the things that, I mean, you can make interesting little short clips. That's like hunting can be cool. Like look at the challenge that it is and here's the payoff and all that. And so, following all those guys, it's brought me a little bit of hope for the industry because they're putting out such amazing content that kids will enjoy right. and could get them interested in it. I mean, there's multiple people out there that are making courses for how to get into the outdoor photo video space for kids. I mean, they're talking to like college and younger yeah. kids, like how do we get involved with this? And they're more than willing to share their knowledge with you. Okay. Question, yeah. question for you, video dude. Do we, do, we, do, we, do we need a TikTok channel? Yes. Yeah. We, yeah need, dude. we need Scott on TikTok <laughs> no. doing lip syncing. <laughs> Heck no. And dancing videos you and could reaction try, videos. You could try TikTok. I know that right now on Instagram, Reels is a big thing, which is basically their version of TikTok. Photos is sadly not driving content anymore on Instagram. It's yeah, if you want to gain followers, you have to, you have to yeah. post Reels. Well, I mean, I've been doing some stuff for a few different people, and every time I short post a short little video like that on reels, it blows up and it like continues to get likes long after a photo usually would have died out. Okay. Halfman, yep. you just said, yes, we need to. Yeah, I, I think so. I think TikTok is I, those clips and Instagram reels like Braden just said are, are drivers. Um, and, and really, I just want you to have it so I can see some of the foolish nonsense that happens. <laughs> oh, it's coming. Uh, but it's true. I mean, it drives a lot of viewership. I'm, Leah, yeah. one of my teammates on the para team, she posted a video of one of the para guys shooting with a, a shoulder harness or something like that. I think it was two or three days she had over over a million views. Get out of town. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. It's, oh, well, my gosh. And to, to that point, you know, we go back to talking about the industry. The industry has to evolve into some of those things. And, you know, you have individuals doing it, but by and large, I don't, I don't know that I see a lot. Of, and maybe it's just, you know, the algorithms and what I do see, but I don't see a lot of manufacturers or uh, industry, you know, ATA, whatever, taking hold of that trend. Right. Like you have to follow the trend, market trends, uh, the marketing trend of TikTok or Reels or whatever. Like you, you have to stay up with that stuff because if you're just like to Braden's point, you know, photos die out in a couple of days, but the Reels continue to that that content continues to garner attention for a longer period of time. So you have to take a hold, you know keep your finger on the pulse of that stuff, take a hold of, of what's happening there and utilize that. Well, it's because it the works. algorithm is constantly changing. And so you have to keep up with that. Exactly. A lot of these companies exactly. are stuck in their little video and photo lane, whereas that's just not where the algorithm is anymore. If you want to stay on top of it and continue to get engagement, you have to go where the algorithm that kind of puts that out there to people right. is. And right now that's reels. And yeah, TikTok yeah. and all those things like that's so, where it's so at. why aren't we doing that 
Uh, you're, 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 you're in charge of that department. Okay. In all boy. fairness, I'm in charge of that apart department for the past, like what month now? Whatever. Okay. So <laughs> whatever. he just, he just got himself a new job. He didn't even know. Wait. It. Yeah. Um, Braden, so, the, the company TikToker. That's, that's right. Okay. So the video's Braden, not in the video. here's the deal, Braden. Hey, you take on a new job. You ask for more pay. All right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's going to cost uh, you. <laughs> So, Brandon, <laughs> we're just going to keep Scott from doing booty shaking TikTok oh, videos. No, no, I'll, I'll, we'll shake my, I'll shake my booty for like, <laughs> but, you <laughs> know, work. coming, coming full circle to that, though, there are people that are doing it and using all those platforms, but they're putting out bad content. What do you mean? Bad. You know, they're, they're, they're putting Blame. out stuff. I, I, I'm just not going to sugarcoat. There's people out there that it shouldn't be putting out archery advice. Oh God! On, yes, on yeah. these reels, Heck on these yes. videos, and all that stuff. Tons so. of them. There is really. <laughs> Shall I name? No, no. I, you know he's so right because I I get so. This is the part because I have a saying and everybody knows it. You walk into my shop, you ask for my my expertise. Um, my first thing to you is to stay off the internet mm-hmm. because there's so yeah. much bad information and there are so many guys out there coaching, teaching. You know, they get their level four certification from USA Archery. Now, all of a sudden, they're the next coming of God. And yep. they, you listen to everything they tell you. And quite frankly, they can't practice what they preach. Correct. And sure. and I'm not saying, you know, there's some great coaches out there who never played the game, if you know yeah. what I mean. Um, and I'm not disputing that. But there is our industry is wrought with very, very, I call it unreliable, un, not credible um advice yeah. and i know halfman you see that by the truckloads i'm sure yeah yeah yeah, so, yeah it, i got go a question ahead. real quick so put your faradine hat on for a second got and, it on. And, and you may not be able to answer this so is faradine doing what they should be doing to to practice everything you just talked about and if not how would you change that you know, I think there's always room to grow. And our company, you know, we listed a handful of the brands when we started. Right. You know, it's it's a big ship, man. It it takes a little bit. It's kind of it takes a little bit to turn. Yeah. You know, and so you know, with any company, there are things you can do better. Like if if you show me a company that, you know. Hitting on all cylinders. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like, okay, well, here's a company that, uh, man, they're doing everything right. You know, they couldn't, they couldn't be any better. I'm going to be like, no. Well, let me ask, let me, let me throw one at you real quick because I think there's a company out there that did that this year. Um, and they, they, I think they pulled the playbook straight from Matthews, and I know you've heard of them. Um, is Annihilator Broadheads? Yeah, I'm not giving them a you know a shameless plug, but at the end of the day. Those guys went on a social media tear, and I'll be honest: everybody and their grandmother is shot, has shot, or shooting their broadheads right now. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's and and I think that you know, social media is you you have to post good content on the regular because people have their phones in front of them three, four, five, eight hours a day. I mean, if you check your screen time, man, sometimes I'm embarrassed. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you and me both. Surely that's right. Right, right. 
but you know, you have to inundate people because people are taking in information at such a rapid rate. The, the negative effect is our attention span is about five seconds long. <laughs> and that's, why, that's why freaking reels are a thing because right. nobody can watch a five minute video anymore. You need to give me all the information in 12 seconds. Yeah. Cause I'm moving on. Right. And, uh, so, you know, I, I think we could do better in social media. I think we, I think we could do better in a, in a few areas. Um, you know, I think, for a company to be successful in this, you know, Faradon, Annihilator, uh, Trueball, whoever. I think for them to be successful, the social media, the inundation with branding, you know, in people's face all the time has to happen. And, and one thing we haven't talked about yet, which really goes all the way back to our ATA and co-release date conversation is innovation. Yeah. Like, you know, these guys wanted to rush out in all the way up into October to go tie up open to buy dollars. Why don't beat them and beat that, beat your competitor in innovation. Right. And then you'll get the dollars. Right. Well, I mean, so, okay, let's talk about that real quick. Cause you know, this is something near and dear to my heart. Um, I get this question all the time from our customer base and this is, goes right into where I think the direction you're heading, you know, why doesn't my bow hold its value? Like when I buy a gun and you know, I, my opinion is it's like cars. Um, you know, they build a, a particular pistol or gun, like a Glock nine millimeter, whatever that a Glock yeah. is. They've been building that gun yep. for, you know, they've been manufacturing that gun now for what, 10, 15, 20 years. Oh, God, um, forever. Yeah. And I so, mean, and there's not really been a really a gun manufacturers don't roll out new models every single 12 months. We have, yeah. for some stupid reason in the archery industry, have got on this dang automobile train wreck of building a new car every 12 months like and you wonder why there's a 30 percent residual loss on your vehicle as soon as you drive out the parking lot like this is yeah. yeah it's like the same way with the bows and phones yeah you're you lose so much value because there is no longevity there's no value in in you know unless the bow's got some moxie i've always said it a matthew switchback is one of the is one of the bows yeah. that i think that just let's look you know it's 20 probably what 22 23 years old you can still yeah. you could still sell that bow if you had it for five six hundred bucks. Which that is, bow held it, that bow held its value insanely long. Mm-hmm. I don't know about five or six hundred bucks. Oh yeah, I've seen it, dude. If I had one right now, I'd put it on the shelf for five hundred. It'd be gone. Seriously. Really? Oh, without a doubt. Oh. You can't do yeah. that for any model year bow of that same in, in that same you know genre and that same uh, era. You couldn't yeah. even sell. You couldn't sell for hundred bucks. Yeah, dude. I mean, I had people. So when I started, um, I started in. We we were a Matthew shop where I was in uh, San Angelo, Texas, the Outdoorsman. Um, and the first bow that I sold was the Adrenaline or the yeah. DXT. Yeah. You know, and and some guys were like, "Man, I I just really like my Switchback," so they right. kept it, right? Right, and they. The only bow that got them off of that was the Z7. Right. And it didn't get all of them off of it. It got some of them. But, um, yeah, the majority of them, right. Which, 
but even even then, a lot of them were like, "Man, like throw throw that old side on that switchback, and I'll keep it as a backup." Right? Like, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, like that. That was that was one that kind of set the world on fire. But, but so it, talk talk through what your opinion is on this new bow every year, because I think that's what's killing. I don't know. I don't like it. I don't yeah. think it. I don't think it helps the industry at all. Uh, it's a give and take every year. The engineering, the R and D departments have got to be just going through their, you know, going out of their minds because every twelve months they got to come up with something new. You right. know, and what's crazy? You read the posts. I, I always love this. I read the posts of these people when the new bow, bow rolls out. And newest, oh, best. Well, that and they get bashed. Like they didn't do nothing. What a piece of crap. Yeah. You know, there's no innovation yeah. here. And it's like, dude, yeah. it's it's. It's exhausting. I, I, I mean, as an engineer, I can tell you it would be exhausting to come up with something new every 12 months. Yeah. And like, what do you tweak at this point? Exactly. Like, you know, I mean, it, yeah, but it, it's tough, man. Like, cause you want to stay, you want to stay relevant. You want to be putting out, you know, new stuff to drive sales. Right. So you've got that side of it and on the, on the flip side of it, you know, you're making very integral changes. Like, right. just, I mean, just barely tweaks to something, you know, like I've, I've said it for, for a lot of years. Um, I'll probably get bashed by bow manufacturers, but like, dude, you go back to, uh, so I think it was 2009, uh, maybe 2010, the Hoyt, uh, oh no, I'm gonna forget now. I just had it in my brain. It left, but uh, the carbon element. No, well, yeah, it was the same as the year before, year or two before that. But you go back and you look at the specs on that bow: thirty inches, thirty-two inches, axle to axle, seven-inch brace height, three hundred thirty feet per second. Right. What are bows doing now? Same. <laughs> I mean, practically the same stuff. Sure. The draw cycles have changed a little bit. There have been improvements, but they're they're very gradual improvements every year. And to your point, it's, it's like man, you press your you press your engineers to come up with something new in the year. You know, I was fortunate to rep Raven crossbows the first two years that Raven was on the planet. They changed the game. They took something that was, you know, having gradual changes. Uh, year after year, you know, hey, we added 10 feet per second. Hey, we made it a little quieter. Hey, you know, we put a better trigger on it right. for a crossbow. And then they took it, turned it on its head and said, we redid the whole thing. Right, right. You know, and I, it, if a bow manufacturer can take a pause and reinvent the wheel in a really, really dramatic way, mm-hmm. It, it would drive innovation, right? Now their competitors have to go, oh, we got to come up with something big. And right. it helps the entire industry because with, with, with bow manufacturers goes the whole accessory business, right? Because if people are buying new bows, well, then they're going to put a new side on it. They're going to put a new rest on it. Mm-hmm. They're going to get new arrows. They're going to grab new broadheads. They're going to Hey, I want I want to move to a handheld release instead of a wrist strap release. You know, so they start trying new things when new bows get sold. With this gradual progression in in, in innovation, uh, people tend to keep a lot of their old stuff and just continue to use it. Right. 
You know, it's funny you say that because look at your guys' footprint with Rage is a good example. Um, you know, the Rage broadhead of 15, 20 years ago, I believe, is still just as effective at killing an animal as your newest one is out today. There's been minor tweaks in that, but let's be honest, if you found an old pack of the aluminum ferrule, you know, the original Rages, they're still going to be 20 bucks, 25, 28 bucks, you know, $30. And your new ones, you know, of course, it went up a little bit, but with the new technology of the no, the no cam, um, the, <clears throat> excuse me, the no collar. No collar, yep. But I mean, let's be honest, you guys have got longevity in that brand and in that, he, even in oh, the yeah. design, even in the design. You know, the number one broadhead of all time, I would argue, uh, you know, the Thunderhead, I, I'm sure we surpassed at some point, uh, the <laughs> like yeah. the deal. but yeah, I mean, and, and if you look at the innovation in that broadhead, it's come a long way. 100%. I mean, yeah. uh, it's, you know, gra- granted it's still a two inch cut, but the materials in the ferrule, the, the no collar, the, uh, the tip, that's a big one. The, the point that I was trying to think of a specific thing, but you go back to when it originated, the O-ring versus the no-collar. Yep. Dude, I mean, <laughs> no comparison. And I still see people talk on social media, I like my O-rings. And I'm like, well, ooh, I, you know, I, I love them too. But yeah. <laughs> if, if you're telling me you like the, the O-ring, I've got to believe you haven't tried the no-collar. Right, <laughs> exactly. It's, well, you know, you know, one of the big problems, and of course, with all hunters, and they'll all relate to this, is that you stick that that O ring broadhead, or even your collar broadheads of, of like the tripan, um, yeah. and you stick it in your quiver, and you happen yeah. to shove it in too hard, and all of a sudden you go on a hunt, and you pull it out, and oh, she's already deployed, I'm screwed. Yeah. You know, I just yeah, got it's, it's a big yeah. problem, and I just got back from Arizona on a mule deer hunt, and I took some, uh, I took the tripan no collars, and it was nice. I actually had one that was pre-deployed and pulled it out and it was our, and all I did was grab my blades and chook, squeeze them shut and let her rip. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, you innovate and then inevitably you, you find a, you know, you can call it a problem, but that that's the whole deal with innovation, right? It's like, okay, I've got a problem. How okay. do I fix it? Yeah. You know, or I've got a goal, you know, let's say as a bow manufacturer, I want to, I want a smooth draw at, at 345 feet per second right. how do i accomplish that so right. um you know the the collar was a great improvement over the o-ring and then like you said you, you oh well i popped the tab on the collar now that that broadhead's dead in my quiver okay right. well we can fix, we can fix that let's innovate and, and drop the collar how do we do that right. and then here comes the, the no collar so the no collar to me is is the deal, man. Because like you said, if it, if the blade does pop out, guess what? <laughs> Squeeze it back in and oh, it's, go. I'm telling you right now, it's the, so f- you want, you want to talk about innovation. That's the biggest innovation in broadheads in years in decades. I mean, I don't care what anybody says you got, you found a way to get rid of a failed system that you can, yeah. you can make whole with the with literally in two seconds of squeezing the blades back together. You yeah. know, not have to take the, you know, I, I know some, some of my kids that shoot those things a lot. They would carry, uh, they'd always ask me, Hey, you got extra collars, you got extra collars. And they would carry them in their, in their pack. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. And, and now you can rebuild it, but it takes time. 
you know, and you're going to have to do it in downtime. You're not going to do it on a pinch, you know, when, if you got to yeah. have it. So I think the no right. collar system is it's set an, an industry standard that I don't think anyone else is, is near that right now. Um, there's some yeah. good broadhead manufacturers out there. I'm not knocking them, but overall, if you look at everything that's built into the rage system right now, it's, it's, you guys have set the, set the table, you set the mark. Yeah. And we have for a lot of years. I mean, we, we garner a little bit of hate here and there and you know, and you know why? Let's be honest. I miss, and I, I don't mind telling this story. I lost the largest white tail I've ever shot in my entire life. Cause I, the first year rages came out, I got, I jumped on the bandwagon, put them on my bow, my arrow and shot like a 180 double drop tine monster in Ohio. Hit him in the shoulders, my fault. Hit him square in the shoulder. It didn't even get an inch and a half of penetration. And when I when the arrow fell out of him, the ferrule had busted in half. It was the old aluminum ferrules. Yeah. Um, and I vowed at that day I would never, ever, ever shoot another Rage Broadhead as long as I was on planet Earth. Well, and, it was um, obvious his fault with that shoulder strike, though, right? Well, there's no doubt about it. That was my fault. A hundred percent. And uh, and I got eat, I eat crow on that one. But I will tell you that when the rage tripan came out is when I started shooting rages again, because you guys went to the, the, the first to go to a t- all titanium feral, yeah. um, 29,000 blade thickness, which was a game changer. I mean, that was 30, before 35. that they were like scalpels. I think it was 35 or 35,000. Yeah. It was a big blade thickness. Yeah. It was, it, they were beefy and they, they held up a hundred percent. And well, we, we actually put yeah. one, well, it was kind of cool. We put one through a test that one of my yeah. video guys kind of kind of videoed without it being staged, let's say. And um, it was interesting. We released that video on our channel. I think the president of your company called me like in 10 minutes yeah. after release and wanted access to that video, which we gave him. And it kind of went viral. I mean, it was, yeah. but that is when I decided to jump back on and now I shoot them all the time. I love them. They're amazing. And that's why a lot of, a lot of listeners, if you, if you haven't tried, you know, a lot of guys in the, from past experiences like mine, have said, I'm never shooting mechanicals ever. I'm just not going to do it. Yeah. Your, your mechanical today is not the one you shot 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Yeah. And, and, and speaking, to, speaking to that, like I, I hit a deer in the shoulder this year and same exact result. Just didn't, it, it was a bad shot. Um, I, I kind of rushed it uh, and we got him on trail cam a week later. Right. Like he's, he's fine. You know, he's got a flesh wound obviously, but um He's, he'll make it, and I vow revenge on him next year. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but um, shot placement is oh. is paramount, and and what I think of a lot of people, and, and myself included, I grew up. I was first introduction to hunting was with the rifle, so you know, my granddad taught me come up the leg move behind the shoulder a little bit and shoot him. And there is so much more real estate behind that shoulder that you can use to kill a white tail. Mm-hmm. Get off of the shoulder. Oh yeah. Nothing good happens no. there. Everybody wants to and, break those shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. Like I know a guy who does <clears throat> track dogs, uh, has, has blood tracking, uh, hounds and track wounded deer. And, uh, He's like, dude, like, 
I tell people all the time, get off the shoulder. Like, mm. Get off of the shoulder. Like, move back. You've literally got a Do, foot of one. Yeah, there. there's just no reason. And then I have a I had a customer who came in the other day with the same deal. He's kind of he's going through broadhead fits right now. You know, he's been from slick trick to rage to to G fives. I mean, he's kind of sh- going around the horn and. You know, and he's having some issues with blood trails, and I get it. You know, sometimes it's just bad luck. You know, you just don't get blood. Yeah. Um, oh, dude, weird, weird things happen. It is, yeah. And But the yeah. one common denominator, he showed me like three or four pictures on his phone of deer that he had shot that didn't bleed, and all three of them were in the shoulder square. And I just, yeah. you know, I, and I always tell him, and, and he's a hell of an archer. This guy's amazing. I mean, he's a really good archer. But Is he, some, is he a 3D shooter? Yes, he shoots in 3D, <laughs> and that's oh, yeah. the, and and therein lies the problem that you know he's so good that he he'll he'll risk tucking it into yeah. that crease. Yeah, and, everybody and, wants twelve ring, right? Exactly. And, yeah, like that's that's a good spot, but dude, deer move. Right, that's it. Happens. Yeah, like give yourself a high percentage. Yep. Yeah, there's there's so much real estate behind that shoulder to work with to stay away from it, and it increases your kill odds tremendously. Yeah, um, and, and let's let's be realistic. None of us want a, a long uh, expiration on an animal, but even if you hit liver, gut, like there's a whole body back there where you're going to recover that animal. Yeah. Uh, nobody wants that. Like I'm not obviously not promoting that, but you're talking breaking the leg bone and that animal living with a broken leg, right? On a non-lethal shot. Or backing it off, and even if you hit liver, if you're smart about it, you play it right. You back out for four to six hours. You can go recover that animal. Hey, guess guess what the common denominator and what you just explained is? It's called male ego. <laughs> we don't want to well, admit that we don't want to admit that we shot a liver shot. We'd rather tuck yeah. it in there and get the double long heart shot right behind the crease and. Bang our bang our chest and put it all over Instagram and say I am man. <laughs> but yeah. you never but you never see the ones that you know that uh, hit the shoulder and square and bounce off or yeah get a inch in penetration and you never recover it. That's what blows me away. It's like you know yeah. there, we have so many. Oh God, I don't want to jump on this bandwagon, but we got so many people right now chasing that insta famous. Instagram, Facebook, I mean, God, who knows all the social media warriors that are out there. Um, and we've oh, got, yeah. a, hey, I've got, we got some here at the shop and hey, I've watched. want to hunt for a post. Bro, I've got some that have changed. I mean, I've known some of these individuals for four or five, six years and I'm watching them migrate into uh, what I call dark territory. They're, they're becoming yeah. so, they're becoming so Insta famous you know, that it's going to their damn heads and they're not, they're no longer who they were. And, um, I, I, that makes me crazy because, you know, they miss like all of us do. They make bad shots. Like, but you, but heaven forbid they ever post that crap, you know, oh, no. like I, well, I, 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 I'll give you honest. I made a, a post about us in Arizona and said, man, we missed a lot. We shot a lot and I'm willing to eat that crow. Cause that's hunting. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I could have been quiet and not said a word about anything. Like a lot of these guys do. Because they only yeah. post their kills, they never post when they effed up and made that bad shot. Because that's not sure. that doesn't get likes, you know. That doesn't get your followers. I feel like it's better right. just because it's more honest. I think it's more authentic. People end up connecting with that better long term. 
Ever. Well, yeah, but, they're the, but they're the first ones to get on your posts and start ragging on you because we suck. Yeah. And we, we don't know how to shoot and this and that. And it just drives me crazy, dude. That's ultimately the problem with social media in general, whether it's hunting or something else, is that these people are all, anybody, they're posting the polished version of their life. Yep. It's not the realistic version of their life. Exactly. We all, we all make mistakes. Like I just said, I, I shoulder bladed one this year. Um, you know, and we make mistakes in hunting. We make mistakes in life. We're not going to, we're not going to jump on social media and be like, Hey, everybody look at how I screwed up today. Right. Like, nope, do that. And so you get this polished version of people's lives. And the, the really unfortunate thing about that is it leads to comparison for a lot of people. And a lot of people are going, man, like I'm not a very good hunter because look at this guy or, you know, I, our, our family must be falling apart because look at this polished version of this family that I know. And right. they've got all their, you know, it looks like their stuff is all together. And, and the reality is that's not the case at all. Right. You know, yeah. every single person in this world has a struggle and, um, as human beings, we are, Every single one of us is flawed. And so I've made poor decisions. You know, you've made poor decisions. We've made mistakes, things that we thought would work out that didn't, things that we thought was a good thing to do that wasn't, you know, and. Well, you know, unfortunately, you know what's crazy, but you know what's crazy about it is, and, and you know this as well as I do. I mean, <clears throat> you know, for the, for, I'll just go ahead and share with the audience, you know, Brandon is, you're a believer. You know, I think yep. everybody in this room is, you know, we're all solid Christians and we, you get almost a God complex and, yeah. and let's be honest, you know, there's nobody perfect except for him. You know that. Yeah, absolutely. And then that's, you know, that's one thing that I, you know, you give me a platform to talk about hunting and different things today, but one of the things that I'd really like to share is just that, you know, if you're going through a hard time, you're depressed, you're anxious, you're you know, whatever, uh, the case is you made a mistake. You think you're beyond fixing that you're not no. like God can redeem the worst of things. You open up the Bible and look at some of the stuff that's in there. And I mean, you got murderers that ended up the champions of, of the gospel. Yep. Like, yep. Uh, you're not beyond the reach of God. And he, Dude, he can change your life in an instant. No question. Yeah. So without a um, doubt. And we've we've all seen that. I've well, seen and that you know, well. you know what's funny about that too is that think about how you know the gospel and God has is integrated into our sport or in in actually in our in our lifestyle because as hunters, you know, and that's one thing that we have a big misconception about. I mean. I'm not going to say everyone, but the major, vast majority of hunters come from a, a, a Christian, very family oriented background because we're shit that we have been, we have gotten a chance to hunt with our fathers, you know, our grandfathers. And that's something that's been passed down. Um, and I think the same thing happens even with, you know, the Christianity part of things, you know, it's something that's passed down from generation to generation. We've, came, we've came from a generation of, of believers back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. I mean, it's, it was integrated into our life. Think about it. Our constitution is written around it. You know, 
It was, it's part of our, the fabric of our being. And now you get into where we are in today's world. I, I, we don't see as enough of that. And I think it's part of the reason why this entire outdoor industry is starting to somewhat falter because now we've got these, this new young, man, I, I have to be careful and not, yeah, not, yeah. St- not stereotype, I, but, but honestly, there's not enough of him involved in what we do day to day. Well, and I, I think it goes to a broader, I don't, I don't think it's, it's not industry specific. It goes to a, a broader cultural phenomenon. Is it, you know, in the Old Testament, they taught like, hey, teach your children about God because you're only one generation from forgetting him. Because if you don't teach that generation and that generation doesn't teach the next generation, then that third generation, he's forgotten. He, he don't right? exist anymore. Yeah. 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 And, and so there's a broader cultural issue there. But going back to like, um, and what I'm trying to, I had a thought that I wanted to kind of pivot on, but yeah, I mean, and in some cases, in some cases, those, uh, you know, mom and dad disciple their children to be believers, but in other cases they don't. Uh, I've got lots, I've got lots of friends who, uh, did not grow up in a church and God reached out and grabbed them and, you know, saved them. And, and they're awesome, awesome folks. They are the, they are the new legacy for their namesake. They are the, the turning point, right? right? So it's like, well, their, their family was on a trajectory and then God changed that. And, and so they're the turning point. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I guess if there's anything I could share today, it, it would, that would be the most important um, because ultimately we're, we're here for a short time and what we do in our life matters. Yeah, no doubt. I agree with that 100%, bro. Yeah. So switch gears a little bit. Talk about, um, so I think something that you guys manufacture, I'm going to go back to like Faradine now, give you a chance to to plug some stuff. Um, I think one of the biggest, I guess not misses, but the thing that's not used enough in your, in our industry from the true fire. I mean, let's be honest, true fire, from a target, I'm going. I'm just mainly talking target archery now, my and because yeah. it's that season for us. Um, sure. The synapse and the and the the hinge was here. The sear. Um, yep. Not getting enough press because I think the synapse is probably one of the best thumb button triggers on the planet. Yeah. Right yeah, up there. Super. And yeah, it, it's a great release. I've used that release since it came out, and uh, you know. I'll, I was always the target guy anyway. Uh, so I always use the handheld even when, when I'm hunting, but, uh, that release is phenomenal. And the fact that you can, you know, and there's some other manufacturers that do it too, but the fact that you don't have to decide whether you want a three finger or a four finger, mm-hmm. it's all in the back. Right. You, you can tinker with that. You can tinker with the angle of, of that, uh, four finger. I, yeah. It's a great release. And, yeah. and the series, the series too, the sear X, you know, has the ability to micro adjust that sear. Um, that release is phenomenal too. And the ergonomics of it, the way it fits in your hand, super comfortable. Yeah. Well, and I tell you, the only thing, and I'm sure you guys fixed this, but I know when the sear first came out, we were having issues. Um, we were having, sorry, someone else was calling in. 
Um, we were having you guys were we were having issues with that release as far as holding its tune. We call it where you guys had four yep. different heads you could actually rotate to to get different click, you know, different timing to the click and after you know after click shots. And I think you guys solved that issue with the new the CRX, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's all. Yeah, and and the other one's still available. We've we've made uh, minor changes to help that hold, but yeah, it it uh. That CRX is the deal, man. Oh, yeah. And it's got the same ergonomic, same handle. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's a great hinge. Yeah. And then, so moving forward to another subject I wanted to talk about, because I don't think it also, once again, and this is what's weird, and this is why I asked that question about marketing for you guys. Because, you know, I've shot the Carbon Express Tank Series Arrows. And I'm, t- I'm telling you right now, they are as good or better than a lot of people's out there on the market right now. Yeah. I mean, yeah, quality, I'm talking from a quality from the, the, if you spin them, you know, they're straight. Um, they're, I think they're true spine. After one thing I will say is that whatever spine is reading, you guys are hitting that mark. I mean, dead on. Um, yeah. You'll get some arrows that they'll say they're a 350 spine and they'll tune weak, period. Um, yeah. You know, or they'll tune heavy or whatever. But you guys are hitting the mark on that. And I will tell you that tank series arrow, um, it was pretty amazing. And then the other thing is, is your guys' big micro diameter, I know it's nano. The, the nano. No, nano you guys RC. don't do the nanos anymore though, right? Yeah, I think they're working on... That was... You know, it, yeah, I'm it, just going to say, I'm going to say it publicly now and I hope Faraday's listening. The dumbest thing that they ever did is get rid of the nano. Nano is a phenomenal arrow. Dude. Yeah. And, and we... Uh, yeah, I, I think... Are you guys going to fix it? <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think there's some stuff in the works, dude. Um, that I mean, I I was mind blown that you guys quit manufacturing that too. I think it was two or three years ago. I mean, I still have a set with the tool steel points. Yeah, they are. It's a good. It's a hell of a shaft. Good arrow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're good arrow. The and, tanks though, are, the tanks are honestly that that hits the the bulk of sales. You know, as far as there's there's a lot less people shooting field archery or or feta type stuff than there is 3D for right. our customer base. And right. so the tank where we've applied most of our focus yeah. at the current. And you know I think they're looking at at some of the the feta type arrows, the nano diameter stuff. But the the tanks are like you said, they're super consistent. The um yeah, I've shot some of my best scores with tank 27. Yeah. Well, and then, and then also the you guys came out with a new micro diameter heavyweight shaft to compete with yeah. like the X Impacts and the FMJs and, and yeah so that's, the the triad and and that's actually a nano target shaft. Well, so that's what blows me away. So triple spine shaft? No, it's not triple spine. It's um yeah, it's, it's tri spine. Oh, is it really? Yeah, it's tri spine, and it's uh, and it is it was. The it, it's basically relabeled uh, Nano XRZ. So, yeah. But you know what kills me about it? So you brought some into the shop, you know, and I don't know if you've ever seen them, Jason. You would like get off Solid. on them. The, the, the logos on them are badass. <laughs> I mean, they're freaking cool. Um, but just you know, there was just no marketing behind that arrow, and I'm gonna tell you right now, probably one of the most baddest hunting arrows on planet Earth. Um, yeah, I mean, if you want a heavy hitter and you're kind of into the FOC thing, the 
the triad is the deal. I mean, you got 95 grains and an insert. It's a it's a fairly heavy arrow. Shaft yeah, it's heavy. Yeah. Um, but then you put that 95 grains up front plus the whatever broadhead you want. Um, obviously, you and I know, and probably a lot of your listeners know, that the more weight you stack up there, the more you know you're gonna the harder it hits on the FOC, right? You're gonna you know make that spine weaker, but yeah, the I mean, I shot those with a hundred grain point, and man, they they're phenomenal, and they hit so hard. Yep. Oh, they're they're awesome. That that, that is one. Of the, and I'm I'm just bringing up some examples of some things that I think that you guys got some great product, but I just uh, I don't know if it wasn't for you guys, the reps going to the manufacturers and 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 getting them out in front of uh you know the dealers. I just you know there's not a footprint on the on the social media side or the marketing side that that is helping drive that product awareness. And what stinks about it for us as a dealer sometimes is that, you know, we tell about it, but man, they go look it up or they go, you know, look for something about it and they can't find nothing. And it, it kind of makes it hard for us sometimes to close that deal out um, because it's an unknown commodity, if it makes sense. Well, it's, that's why it's kind of hard to sell Darton right now that yeah. we have here. I mean, I've talked to people about, it. I'm like, it's, I know you probably never heard of them, but it's a great bow. And they're like, yeah, never mind. <laughs> yeah. I'll go check out these the Hoyts and the yeah. Elites and PSEs. So interesting story about that Darton side sidetrack, but it got uh, sleeper bow of the year on Outdoor Life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the how I think the Hoyt RX7 got bow of the year. You know they had to create a category. Well, I ain't gonna say that. <laughs> um, Matthews won um, most. You know, most like I don't know, best not best bow, but something best bow to shoot of the year, and then um, Darton got sleeper bow of the year, which was interesting. Well, Darton's been Darton's been around forever. For your younger listeners, they're not. It's not a new company. No. Oh yeah, been around forever. You know, it's under new ownership, but Darton was one of the main innovators in compound technology. You know, along with I'd say PSE and maybe a, another one or two, but the man they hold a bunch of patents on compound technology heck yeah they do yeah the tons of them well rex darlington who is the owner inventor creator you know he practically for all intents and purposes invented the cam um, yeah and that's what a lot of people don't know and then i think i think behind bear and i want to say i don't know who the oldest is but i know bear would be right up there they're, they're one of the three oldest archery companies in, in, in existence yeah, that's still. Yeah. I don't think Pearson's no, no Pearson's not around. Yeah, but yeah, uh, back in the day, it was. I mean, there were there were some interesting, you know, even one-offs um, that were pushing forward in the compound technology. You remember the Carol? Oh yeah, <laughs> the Carol Intruder. I think. Yeah, yeah. Did I have one of those come in the shop one time? I was like, "What is this?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I wasn't around for you know back in those days to to know what it was. But yeah, I mean there were that that age of innovation was you know pretty dramatic. And then you know you've got the companies you've got today. But uh, man, you talk about going from basically a stick and a string to mm-hmm. a very mechanical instrument. Right. Pretty impressive. Oh yeah. Um, going back to Faraday, I got a question. What does, um, you know, how much is supply chain hurting you guys? Are you guys like, so one of our courses, a dealer, and even now, and we'll throw that right back to the consumer. 
you know, sure. is lead times. You know, so right now it is impossible to get some stuff out there. Um, what's Ferrodyne looking? Are you guys, you know, we're, keeping ahead of the pace? Really, yeah, like we're really pretty healthy. We we kind of hit our stride, uh, and I don't remember exactly when last year. It, it, there's still issues, obviously, um, but you know, a lot of our stuff is manufactured and assembled here, so there there are limiting factors here and there, but you know, by and large, for the most part, like if a dealer orders something right now, we're shipping most of his order. Like really? The part of it. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously that'll, you know, with the big programmed orders and, and show orders and stuff going in, that'll, you know, get a little tighter and then it'll loosen back up. But man, for the most part, most of our, you know, um, high performing product cues and everything like that dude i mean we're shipping them pretty much right away that's awesome that's good because you you guys are definitely above the curve on that one because most people are not there yeah yeah and i'll credit our upper management with that i mean they fought through a lot of crap to get us back right because everybody was in that boat um like in 2020 and it was rough in you know, getting stuff out and built and, you know, and it wasn't all, some of it was supply chain, obviously, but even, you know, you come stateside and you've got mandates and rules about how many people can be working or how far apart they are. Man, when you're in an assembly situation, right? six feet apart is not, uh, you know, it's really not functional or not feasible. Like, when when we're assembling stuff or packaging stuff, people are in close proximity to each other. So I mean that that impact <clears throat> that had an impact as well, just slowing production and and allocation of product. But yeah, like right now, I mean, you you order something, you're going to get most of it. I don't right. know what the percent, but a, very few things are not shipping right away. That's good. That's awesome. What about, yeah. I would do got a question because just from my own selfish interest, because we're kind of running out. What about block targets? What are, you, what are you guys looking at like that? And the reason I'm asking is that we talked to uh, Delta McKenzie the other day mm-hmm. and um, they're having big problems getting material um, in here yeah. to manufacture yeah, targets. Has, has that affected you guys? It, it has. Uh, it's getting better. Um, you know, you get, you know, foam targets are made out of, uh, polyurethane which is a an oil-based product and um you know there there's some issue getting that but uh even those i think we're in pretty good shape on now um it, it affected us i think towards the end of last year maybe mid-year but it, like i said man i mean we're we're cranking out stuff at a high rate even the stuff that we're back ordered on the lead times are not nearly as dramatic as like some of the bow manufacturers or uh other stuff i mean it we're doing pretty good gotcha that's awesome yeah yeah so and like i said credit our upper management are uh for managing through that because man some of the headaches that they've dealt with and, and this is you know you go back to some of the cultural things we're a pretty unforgiving society at this point because of the nature of uh the internet and uh you know wanting things right now like 
the instant gratification aspect of our society. Right. Um, <laughs> some of the headaches that, that our operating management had to deal through and go through, and then you got people who are like, well, I don't understand why you can't have this. This is ridiculous. Well, like, it, it's much more complex than that. Uh, armchair quarterbacking from, you know, from a distance, you don't see the issues that that a company has to navigate um, to get product, you know, the to get it built and to get it out. It, it's a very complex system, especially as you get, you know, to companies that are the size of Paradigm. Well, I was going to say, with the amount of SKUs you guys have and the amount of brands. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and there were decisions, you know, where we had to sit down and go, okay, like, the demand for a rage no collar is outpacing this other product, you know, by 15 times or whatever. I'm right. taking the number, you know, and then you got to go, okay, well, we just need to, we need to put that one on the back burner a while and get all these other people taken care of. And right. I know that, you know, so th- there's just decisions that have to be made by upper management that, I mean, good on them because they have navigated it well. And, you know, we're, I feel like we're on the other side of it and we're, we're pretty healthy. Like I said, I mean, we got lots of product in stock. Gotcha. Okay. So what about, uh, can you give us any teasers, anything cool coming out of Faraday in the next year or two? Um, yeah, we, <laughs> we've actually, so we've got some really neat stuff. I can give you, um, I can give you the categories to look for, um, carbon express, uh-huh. uh, target. We've, we've got some cool things working in target. We've got some cool things working in true fire. Um, trying to think we, we actually just released some really cool stuff in covert, um, that I would encourage any of your listeners to go check out. Gotcha. We've got, um, we've got some binoculars that are, what? yep. We've got, they're incredible, dude. They're um, Japanese glass, super crisp. Uh, the performance on them as well, and the price point is awesome. And then uh, we have, we also have a couple thermal products uh, in that line. So cool. we've got a thermal monocular, which I really feel like is a great tool. And you're, you know, obviously if you're hunting at night and you want to, you know, hunt coyotes or whatever, you pig, mm-hmm. you know, can use it as a scanner, but I think it's a really, really cool recovery tool. You know, if you shoot a deer at last light, you give them 30 minutes and you, you can walk through the woods and scan around with that thing. He's still going to be hotter than the ground around him. You're gonna, you can re- use it to recover your animal. Right. I want, so yeah. let me ask you a question. Does blood come up as hotter when it comes out of the animal or does it probably cool pretty quick? Yeah, it, it does. You you can see a heat signature from it for a while, but it's obviously going to cool faster right. because there's not much of it. Yeah. I'm so, curious. you know, uh, one of our guys was like, Hey, let your dog walk around the living room. And, uh, you can, he was telling me how he could follow his dog and see its footprints for a few seconds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool, man. I, it's, it's new stuff to me as far as, you know, repping and selling something like that, but it's pretty exciting. You know, it gives us another tool in our bag to to go out and, yeah. you know, reach new customers and diversify a little bit. And yeah, it's pretty neat. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. 
Awesome. Yep. Well, that's good. That's good stuff then for sure. Um, I guess I'm going to close it out with a big question. Where, where do you see archery going in the next decade? What do you think? And not just archery, maybe just the entire outdoor industry. Yeah. I mean, my hope is that it, that it sustains and even grows. Um, but that's going to take effort on the part of manufacturers, ATA, individual business owners, shops, um, conservation uh, groups. And, and I think, you know, I, I think it, I think there's a lot of people out there doing the things that are necessary to, to accomplish that. But like I said earlier with any company, there's, there's always room for improvement, right? So right. like, we just need to keep thinking of ways and keep our finger on the pulse of technology and what people are looking at and how, how people are consuming information to, to be able to drive it forward. Because unfortunately, I, I think you and I have had this conversation. Um, we are, we are leaning more and more towards the European model of hunting where only the wealthy and the, you know, the, um, the well-to-do are able to afford or have access to hunting. And, um, you know, I, I get it to some extent from a, uh, from a business standpoint, from a capitalist standpoint and, you know, making money, but, uh, man, people have got to have access to it. So if, if you're, if you're someone that has access to hunting and you know, somebody that is a hunter or that would like to be a hunter that doesn't have that access and share what you got, mm-hmm. like don't, huddle up and keep it all to yourself. Like, you know, if you've got, if you've got a deer lease that costs you $5,000 a year, cause we know how crazy it can get down here in Texas. It can get higher than that. But, uh, you know, and you've got a buddy that just, he can't afford it, man, bring him out there and shoot some does. Like do, do something to give him that access and give him that excitement about it. Because, yeah. Yeah, if there's one thing I could tell you to see a trend, you want to you want to challenge your insta famous people. I'm challenging them right now. You know, I, I I'm sick of seeing you with your kills. Why don't you Why don't you sit back with a, a buddy of yours with his kill? Mm-hmm. That's the challenge. Yeah. That that's the challenge, and that's what we're not seeing any of. I I know so many people like that. I mean, they've got access to leases. They have access to hunting. I mean, how yeah. many freaking animals do you need to kill a year to satisfy your gluttony for blood? I don't get it. Well, um, well, and, and, I, and I challenge, and I have said this to some of these people verbatim, point blank, that take a buddy hunting. Share some yeah. of your, 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 your secret spots or share your lease. Let's see how many pictures you can post with a friend or a new hunter that's never hunted before. Yeah, um, sure. that, there's not yeah. enough of that going around because, once again, that entire burning desire to become insta famous is nauseating well i mean some of my favorite youtubers that do hunting or go ahead let me just play into that ego a little bit of the desire to be you know insta famous as you call it 
some of the videos that I see on my YouTube feed that pop up that have the most likes or the most views are of someone who has garnered a huge following that is helping someone else out. Yep. Yep. Because there is a feel good element to that type of thing that people love to watch. Yep. And I'll, I'll just pull one out of the air. There's a, there's a guy that, uh, he goes, he goes and buys a bunch of, uh, MacBooks and he'll go on a college campus. He'll go to the, the library where everybody is on computers or whatever. And he walks up to him and he's like, uh, Hey, do you, do you not have a computer? And they're like, no, no, that's why I'm here using this one. And he's like, okay, well, here's a MacBook. And he gives it to him. Mm-hmm. Dude, those videos have buku views. So let me just feed into the Insta-famous thing real quick. If you want a bunch of views, help somebody else out. Yep. Don't, don't make it about yourself. Right. Because ultimately, like, none of this is about each one of us. Like, the best thing you can do in the world is help somebody else out. And, and you know, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Like, sometimes I get kind of cliche, but the reality is if you've ever helped someone who desperately needed it, you realize on the back side of it that it actually blessed you as much or more than the person you helped. Right. That's a few of the YouTubers I watch that do hunting is Hushin and then Born and Raised Outdoors. And they, they have a few of their own hunts on there, which is understandable, but they, I also like, they do take, they take their kids, they take friends and parents and stuff. And those are the like feel good things you're talking about. Like I saw one the other day that Hushin put out. I was like my first, my dad's first axis deer in like 50 years or something. Like that was a cool video just to see like the bond that they had or whatever. Like those are the good ones that I like to watch. Yeah. Well, that's what, you know, I just got done. I mean, I did my first guided hunt ever in Arizona, never been on one. And it was interesting because it was hard to, you know, bite my tongue a lot because there were some things that, you know, like I wanted to do different, but you know, you got to let the guy do his job and he's amazing. And I'm not going to name who it is, but it was interesting talking with him. You know, he has never killed an elk, but yet he has, he has guided over a hundred kills in the last 15 years. Probably he has, he guided the New Mexico state record last year. Um, has never killed a, a muley with a bow, but does, you know, bow guiding. And I will tell you right now, he is the best in the business. I would put him up against anybody, but he just has this innate desire, man. He wants to share. He wants, he's, and he said it best. I get more out of watching my clients see the joy of, 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 you know, killing the animal and accomplishing a goal that is extremely hard. And, uh, and that's what drives him. And it's yeah. not, it's not him killing the animal. He doesn't need that to feed the fire. And I think that is so cool because he's sharing his expertise about animal behavior animal habitat, you know, what he knows about them to, to make it a, a successful hunt for his clients. And, you know, some guys that would know that would probably shy away and go, well, hell, if he's never killed it, how can he, you know, he can't, he can't guide me, <laughs> whatever. This dude's, ama- <laughs> this dude's amazing. He's, he is the man. Well, he's sharing what he loves with other people and that's the enjoyment he gets out of it. Exactly. That's, that's why I like photo and video. I get to capture what I love and hopefully show other people and bring them into what I enjoy. Yeah. But no, Brandon, you hit the nail on the head though. There, that's probably our biggest industry hurdle is getting a chance to get hunting 
available to the masses. You know, as a shop yeah. owner, as shop owner, I get a lot of people that come in here and never bow hunted their life. They buy a bow and I have to warn them, you are in the toughest state in the union when it comes to hunting opportunities mm. without knowing there, somebody or without yeah. paying an extreme amount of money to be able to go ply your trade. And it sucks. That's, yeah, Texas, Texas is tough in that regard. There's very little public land. You know, you really have to go west or to other parts of the state. Kansas right. has a decent amount of public hunting, but you have to draw a tag, obviously, out of state. But right. there's there's opportunity. Um, but, yeah, I guess maybe I'm speaking more to Texans when I say that. Take, like, take somebody hunting. because oh, Texans are the worst. I've lived in seven states around the country, and I will tell you now, no offense, I've lived here 16 years, so... I consider myself a Texan, but they're the worst. They're the, they are the. About who you know. Yeah. And it's, it's, the, it's that I'm going to hoard it for myself mentality. Well, it goes, and it doesn't just go to the people. There's organizations in the state that are there to take people out to do stuff. And all they do, again, you, you look at those, those organizations, nonprofits or whatever, you look at their Instagram pages, oh my God. the people that run them. Um, the You're people that are putting there. the, uh, in You're those positions. There. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I used to, I used to work with some and, and, you know, I did my best to, Hey, there's this, there's this thing available and I'm not sitting here tooting my horn, but that was, that was what I was trying to do where someone would come down and say, Hey, there's this hunt. Well, no, I don't want to go. Let's take this guy. Yeah. Um, but all these other people are just getting these opportunities yeah. and, and, and you and I've talked about it. instead oh, yeah. of handing them down, it's about. Oh, look at me. Look right. at what I'm doing. You know, Brandon, I don't, know, everywhere. I don't know if you've seen that, Brandon, but what he's talking about is like, you've got some nonprofits in tech and, and just not just Texas, but Texas is wrought with them. Um, but around the country, you've got, they get a lot of stuff or a lot of opportunities because they are a nonprofit. They, they may be helping a paralyzed vet association, a wounded warrior, sure. you know, and they're, and they're using that. And I hate to say this, man, I hate the bargaining chips. Yeah. They're using that as a bargaining chip. And, and it's like, oh, because I support a veteran community, I'm getting all this access to hunts and stuff. And the sad part is only their constituents are hunting, meaning, Mm. meaning the guys that work there, the guys that are supposed to be promoting the sport. And it's, it's nauseating to see who have you taken hunting? What vet have you taken hunting? How have... What those hunts should be shared with the community that they're they're representing and supporting, and the sad yeah. the sad part is they're not and they're they're taking it for themselves, and 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 then they win awards for it and crap. I mean, I seen I'm not going to even name a name and I'm not going to say anything about it, but yeah, um, one one person I, have, I haven't seen anything like that, but that's super unfortunate. Oh, it's crazy. Um, one person yeah. got selected to win a big award because of the hunts that they go on that are supported by the very organization is supposed to be giving the hunts away to the vet community or to the paralyzed vet community, to the wounded warrior community. And it's nauseating. I mean, I, I absolutely have zero respect and have actually pulled out of a couple of those organizations because they're not doing the things to support the very communities that they say they stand for. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. And that, that's an unfortunate trap to fall into. Um, well, it goes, it, it goes it back to what you're talking about. That whole, that egotistical, yeah. you know, pound my Share chest. Yeah. That's not happening. Yeah. Yeah. We actually, we have a nonprofit. It's, it's for uh, an orphanage overseas and you know, it's, there are, there are too many ways that you can use that money to, for your own benefit. Um, if, if you're not, 
um, coming from a moral uh, place. Right. And so our nonprofit, they like, we don't even have employees. Like we shuttle a hundred percent of the money to the orphanage. Like we, we don't, we just, we don't, well, as a, or yeah. all, all of our work is volunteer and we push everything to, to the cause. Yeah. So that way you don't have any paid employees that are, you know. Yeah, that's it. A hundred percent of it goes there. We don't, we don't. And, and so like, I think the gray area that happens with some of those places is that they do pay employees, which is completely legal and, and fine. I'm not, you know, I just know kind of how a nonprofit works because we have one. So, you know, there are things that you can write off there. You can be a paid employee. So, you know, I, I think there was one that helped veterans. It's probably been five to 10 years ago that kind of got exposed for, Hey, these guys are like eating 70% of the money and oh, only yeah. 30% of it is going to like the cause. You yep. know? Jason so, knows that very well. Yeah. So, that, you know, that's, Obviously, it takes money to run a business. Obviously, people have to make an income if that is their primary source of income. But um, yeah, that can get that can get pretty muddy in a hurry. Well, I've challenged some of these guys that are given, you know, there's some big corporations out there that are funding or giving money to these organizations, and um, and it's just not the paralyzed, wounded warrior, the military, you know, institutions. It's others. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Like USA Archery is an example. But I have challenged those guys. If if I was a multi-trillionaire, it was in donating money to their cause. I would ask for direct, not receipts, but I want to have transparency to where my money's going and who it's affecting. Because I want that yeah. to get down to the athlete level or down to the down to the individual level. That money needs to be funneled through that system to impact yeah. the people that it's supposed to be impacting. And that's what I want to see. And it never yeah. happens. Yeah. And I would definitely ask those questions like, okay, where is my money going to? Yeah. Because if it's going in your pocket to go take your family on a vacation, it's not really <laughs> what I want to give to you, you yeah. know, or what, whatever yeah. the case is. But yeah, like I, I know how easily it would be to slide into that, op, you know, that mode of operating um, just because of the way that those are set up. And you really got to guard yourself against it and, and make a decision on the front end of how, how you're going to do it. Because, you know, obviously that's not good, but I can also understand and see how it devolves into that. Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, to close up what you're talking about is, you know, let's just, just you know, take a buddy hunting, you know, yeah. share the wealth, sure. share your knowledge. You know, I hate to say it, but you said it earlier. We're on this planet for a very short time. We're here for a different cause. Um, you can't take that crap with you. <laughs> I mean, no, no, sh- you know, share the experience, share it down, you know, take a kid hunting, um, yep. get someone else involved and get over yourself. You know, that's my, probably my, uh, yeah. my wish for yeah. our, for our industry right now. There's reasons for that too. The, the commercialization of hunting has, oh. has made people really guarded because, you know, they've, they've got a lease they've got a couple deer on there that they really want to kill. So yep. they, they don't, they don't want to take people. And it's like, man, like I understand that it's important for you to harvest that animal and, and you know, you're paying a lot of money to do that, but it's not the ultimate thing. The no. ultimate thing, the camaraderie, the experience, passing it down to the next generation. And, and as people, I think as people get older, like, you know, 
I think you start to realize that more when you're younger, you're a little bit more, uh, you know, I hate to say it, but selfish, you know, I mean, I, I, you evolve as a hunter. And I think as you get to 35, 40, 50 years old, you go, okay, like I've, some people don't obviously, but like for me, it's like, okay, I've, I've killed some great animals. I've, I've had some great experiences. You know, my son is five years old. I, I can't wait to get him out in the woods. Right. Like when he gets to the point where I think he can go responsibly and sit for a little while, you know, and be still and quiet. Dude, we're going because I, I can't wait. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. You, you want to hear something crazy? We were having a discussion with our, our guide. His name is Joey. And he was t- talking, we were talking about guide experiences and kind of experiences we've had. And he said, you know, I always know it's going to be a good hunt. When the guy comes in and says, Hey, I just want an opportunity, you know, yeah. and other than that, I'm here to enjoy camp and food and, and good, good company yeah. and blah, blah, blah. And he says, the guy that comes in and says, I want a 350 inch bull. And that's what drives him. It's a number. And yeah. it's, it's so we can post that picture on Instagram, you know, and, and validate, yeah. validate whatever drives the guy. And he always says the difference between those two types of hunters is mind blowing. And, you know, the hunter that asked for the 350 bull, he's a client and nothing more than a client. The guy who's there to enjoy the experience of being in the mountains, to enjoy camp, the food, the camaraderie with the hopes that he gets an opportunity, those become friends of his. You know, those are the guys that he texts every day that they, you know, they become more than a client. And that I think resonated, you know, him and I had a common ground there that that, you know, he is driving the sport in the right direction, but he says it's, it's unbelievable though, because 10 to one is the 350 bull guy. Yeah. For every 10 clients, nine of them want the 350 and there's one there to enjoy the experience. And that's, and you know, and you know this, Brandon, I mean, that's, that makes it tough. I mean, that's, you're really in the sport for the wrong reason. Really. Yeah, I mean, those big animals don't come around often, and it's really dependent on where you get to hunt. And, you know, unfortunately, like we talked about earlier, maybe even where you can afford to hunt. But, the, yeah, it, I think if people can make the shift in their mind to be more focused about the experience than how many inches of antler an animal has and what, you know, what animal they want to kill. I think one, they would be more, they would actually be more successful in the woods. Yep. Because you're more in tune uh, with your surroundings rather than your, just your goal. Uh, but two, I, I think some of the culture around our sport would start to change in a positive way. So, you know, make it about the experience, you know, share the sport, grow the sport, you know, cause, it's like we talked about with discipleship earlier. If you don't pass it down to the next generation, the generation after them are going to forget it. And let's be honest, dude, our political system is is against the growth of hunting and, and access to. Oh, there's land. no doubt about it. Yeah. So, so we gotta we gotta pass it on. We have to, you know, uh, we have to give it to the next generation to carry the torch. So. Yeah. Well, there's, I've always said it. There's a big difference between hunting and killing. 
mean, yeah, we grow up learning that from our parents. If yeah. ever, don't kill anything. My dad always said it's, yeah. hunt, it's well, hunting, not killing. If it's fishing, not catching. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's the thing. I mean, they, they've turned this whole thing into, and I hate to say it, but you know, some of these guys are grocery shopping, <laughs> you know, they go to some of these ranches that are just loaded, you know, and uh, yeah. they're, they're grocery shopping. They're not, they're not hunting. Big difference, you know, big difference between fishing and catching. <laughs> yeah. But, and, yeah. and you know that, it's, uh, we were, we were talking about, you know, a guy that comes in and says he wants a 350 inch bull. We try to put it into perspective and, you know, and Joey says, I'll tell him, Hey, how many 180 inch whitetails have you seen in your lifetime? Well, I've, I've never seen one or I've seen no. it on TV. Okay. Well, that's what, that's what you're asking me to give you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you've never well, seen one. Yeah. And I, and I think that that's the exact right way to handle it is to educate. And that's the, that's the position I've taken from when I worked in shop all the way, even, even now, you know, selling archery equipment. Um, I, I, I start from a, an educational yeah. standpoint, you know, here's, here's what this product is. Here's what it does. Here's why you need it. Yep. And, um, I've found that if you do that, especially in the shop, like if you have a customer and you, you've got, let's just say you've got four options, you educate him on the four options and you let him make the decision. Right. And, uh, that way when he walks out your door, he's happy with his purchase. He doesn't feel like he got something pushed on him. Right. And, uh, I think that's what part of the reason I have, you know, really good relationships with my account and, and ultimately longevity. And, you know, I've been doing this for quite a while and, and, uh, I, I feel like when you take that standpoint and you have that person's best interest in mind and they make a purchase from you, they're happy with it. Yeah. They feel good about right? it. Yeah. Because there, I mean, there are people who push certain things only. And, uh, you know, that guy might, he might be happy with it, but he also might walk out the door and go, man, that's not really what I wanted. But that guy was so adamant that I had to buy this bow right. or this site or this release. Yeah. And it's like, you know, and at the end of the day, you want that customer to come back through your door. So, you know, leave him going out happy with his purchase. Yep. But education is a, a big thing. Yes, I mean, sir. Hey, going back yeah. to the 350 inch bull, how many 12 pound bass have you caught in your lifetime? One, buddy. <laughs> you and me. You and me. <laughs> but you know, hey, to put that in perspective, how many years did it take you to do that? Uh, I started bass fishing when I was probably 12 or 13. Uh, so 24 years. 24 years. There you go. I've, yeah, ca I've yeah. caught, I've caught two fish over, over 12 and it took me. Let me see. I caught the last one when I was 41. So yeah, almost 30 years. Yeah. They just don't come off. And I've, I've caught no. three double digit bass and, in, in, you know, the whole time I've been fishing, um, they, they just don't come off. No. So and, that's, you, and it would just, just trying to correlate things and put them into perspective for those guys who are out there listening that, man, I'll tell you what, these, the big ones are few and far between. If not, yeah. if not practically impossible, unless you're going grocery shopping at a, at a game farm or like a, you know, what is it? Beeville, yeah. Beeville has all those lakes where they're full of, fully loaded with those big bass. Just go catch them at Bass Pro. 
<laughs> Still catch him at Bass Pro. Dude, if there's one thing I want to do in my life, like one of my bucket list things is to be able to fish that tank. <laughs> go to a, Just go to a Bass Pro that you're like up in Montana or something. Yeah. So if they ban you, it's not the end of the world. <laughs> exactly. Well, it, what's funny is I always said, if I ever became a manager, if I can manage a Bass Pro, I'm fishing that tank 100%. Stay there at night. <laughs> Stay there after we close and go smack them. <laughs> I think it'd be cool to have access to that because when I walk through places like that, you you want to get keyed in on how fish or animals are behaving. Oh yeah. Before before you go on a hunt, walk through the aquarium at a bass pro shop. Yeah. You'll know exactly what the animals are doing. Yeah. Because if they're if they're nose to the wall and just sitting there. You're probably not going to see too many deer on the feet. Yeah, it's going to be a tough day. It's going to be a tough day. Yeah, yeah or fish. You know, I mean, they're, they're just lethargic. You know, there's all kinds of stuff that goes into well, that. And I think yeah. I think all animals relate to those type of things, like the the, the you know the barometric pressure, the the time of year, the temperature, all that yep. stuff coincide for all living animals. And I agree with you a thousand percent that that you see a bunch of fish suspended in the middle of the, of the of the the tank at Bass Pro is probably going to be a tough day on the water or it's going to be a tough day in the field, you know, from a, from a yeah, hunting you, standpoint. You can, you can do the same thing with livestock. You know, if you see the cows all grouped up and laid down, you're probably not going to see a lot of deer moving or right. They, you, you check me on this this spring. I, I've said it to multiple people, uh, grackles. I've gotten to where I've, I've almost won't even go turkey hunting until I see grackles strutting. What's that? Oh, the, so like the, if they're the big blackbirds, oh, like the ones you see at Walmart, yeah, in the parking <laughs> yeah. lot, or mockingbirds, yeah, they'll do the same thing. Yeah, I'll be lucky you, if I you see. You drive through a, a parking lot at like a Walmart or wherever, you know, they, they're a lot of times they're in the city or whatever. But right, you see one of the males swoop down out of a tree and start flapping his wings and strutting around. Turkeys on fire. Go, go turkey hunting. Okay, I'm gonna test that theory this spring. <laughs> I never heard of that one before. No. Me too. Yeah, good. Look, look around. Because Jason, they, you have nothing to worry about. Jason's got like 40 turkeys in his backyard every day. <laughs> well, he can go get a turkey anytime he wants. Exactly. It's not even, that. that's, once again, that's killing, not hunting. Yeah. That's funny. I'm, I'm going somewhere else. Yeah. I'm going to test that this, this spring and see if that actually works. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, man, you can look around. And, and that's what I tell you going back to the thing it's about the experience you look around at, at how nature is operating around you and you kind of tune into it you can start to notice some of those things yeah all right bubble listen we are actually almost running out of storage space on our uh yeah on our whatchamacallit here i forgot what they call that stupid thing the card video card so we're going to wrap up but hey we really appreciate you being on I mean, that was great, no great talk, great content. Um, if you guys get a chance, go experience some of the products that Faradine has. They've got, they, I don't care anybody says, Rage Broadhead's one of the one of the top broadheads, if not the top dog in the industry. Um, we use Block Targets here, just to give you a plug. They're amazing. And uh, like I said, the, the True Fire releases and Carbon Express, those are four of my favorite product categories. You guys Faradine run sales. IQ sites as well, right? The IQ sites they have. Um. And, but anyways, just give them a shot. That, that's some great product out there. And I know Brandon would appreciate it. Ask for that stuff at your local shop if you get a chance. But man, we yeah. appreciate you, B. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, no problem. God, ble yeah. God bless you with those kids and, and hopefully you'll take care of them. And I know you will and everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just be have fun being Mr. Mom for the, for the next six months. 
<laughs> and, and like I said, if you need someone to take your bass boat out and keep it in shape, running shape, just let me know. I'll, I'll handle that. Brandon said he'd do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can probably figure out how to drive a boat. You never know. Yeah, there you go. All right, B. Thank you, buddy. Uh, see you guys. See you, bye. All right, that was awesome. Well, folks, I know we're going to cut it off pretty quick because we are running out of space. Jason is giving me the evil eye. So thanks for listening. We'll, we'll be back around next week. I got a really cool subject matter next week we're going to talk about, which is going to be crazy interesting. Are we teasing? We're teasing. It's going to be awesome. Okay. All right. See you guys. See you guys. Take care. <laughs> 